Lonely Days by Bayo Adebowale Chapter 1 The night Ajumobi died, nine full months ago, a shooting star zoomed down the empty sky in a long line of fire. The people of Kofi heard the go-away bird putting a sad mournful tone on the bow of Aniroko. The meaning of all these were very clear to Yeremi. Ajimobi had been accepted by his maker. His spirit had gone straight to heaven, not missing the way. Yeremi's eyes twinkled. She did not know whether to begin to shed tears of sorrow or tears of gratitude. But because her husband had left her alone to the wicked world just like that, and without a word of farewell, she quickly made a choice. It must be tears of sorrow. Sorrow from the abyss of a troubled heart. Jeremy's face instantly was shadowed in a deep misery, and the whole world immediately went blank before her eyes. She made efforts to console herself, even as the distrustful eyes of sympathizers glared from helms of garments, secretly castigating. Jeremy wondered. Her husband certainly did not die a disgraceful death. For this, she told herself, she must be thankful. Ajumobi did not die an abominable death. No. He did not drink poison out of frustration with life. And he did not fall from the slippery chips of the palm tree on a rainy day. He was not struck by lightning, not beaten by a cobra, and not crushed to death by the falling walls of the village mud buildings. Achimobi did not hang himself with a rope on the colonel's tree like the Akko firewood cutter, whose dead body the people had cut down and had buried at the Iloro with indecent haste, inside a shallow, nameless grave filled with loose soil and porous sand. No suicide for Achimobi. He lived like a man and died like a man. Yaremi was thankful. But the tears now rolled in torrents down her face, streaming into the corners of her mouth and tasting like salt. The temporariness of a man's passage on earth was a certainty. Yaremi at once surrendered herself to the design of destiny and to the agony of what seemed to her an irreplaceable loss. She was the last human being Ajumobi saw when his eyes were finally closing up in death. What a great honor! Her husband gave her that last minute parting stare, quick, penetrating, and meaningful. There was an expression of hurt and disappointment in Ajumobi's dying black eyes. Jeremy got the message. And with all her heart, she tried to communicate to Ajumobi. Not only sorrow and solidarity, but also deep apology for all the wrongs she probably had committed. Something told her she must have offended her husband deeply. To be shot at and be wounded with such strange reproachful glare. 
She was just ready now to beg, ready to atone, and ready to apologize. The painful finality of Rajimobi's last minutes on earth rang in Yeremi's head, splitting her brain with remembered images. She stumbled as she stepped out into the sun to pick up her head tie which had fallen on the ground during the course of prolonged wailing. She was scanned by mourners in all directions. All eyes followed every footstep she took with a hostile closeness, and all ears listened, ready to catch her every word in a set trap. These, obviously, were not people merely sitting in silent sympathy in the presence of death, but people who were fully bent on humiliating her and destroying her reputation. These were lonely days indeed. Yaremi felt thoroughly abandoned, like a stone at the bottom of a lake. Silence sank like sad music in her heart and descended on her soul in pitiable layers. One by one, the mourners had left, leaving her to sulk the anguish of a private sorrow secretly. Then followed, after a few days, the extended family's mockery heaped on her like the strange showers of a January rain. And now, loneliness. Yaremi's days dragged lazily on, in a haze of solitude and lonesomeness. She had never learned to be able to be alone in all her life, but loneliness had now pitched a tent and had become to her a deep black color like the night, eternal night, thick and tangible, with no glimmer of light and no trace of life, dark lonely days and lonely nights unending, somber, gloomy and desolate, where only the winds played freely alone in the air. Yeremi's two daughters, who used to keep her company, had long been given away in marriage. Shaggy to one day the noble-footed Pamwintapa from Olode, who climbed the tallest trees in the forest to bring down the freshest wine with the highest cost. <clears throat> Ura to the blacksmith at Akmo, who owned a granite anvil and two bellows of baked clay, the Iron Man as they called him, with the fiery furnace. Ura's husband was nicknamed Shokoti, the blacksmith of heaven, wielding gongs and salvaging scraps of metals to create shovels and axes of local design to earn a living. Yaremi's only son, Alani, was an expert furniture carpenter who now lived in Ibadan, far away from his mother. In town, Alani had become more than just a carpenter. He had become urbanized as a result of his long stay, and now he, had, and now he hardly remembered the little village of his birth. Kofi to him was becoming a lonely settlement at the very end of the earth, a small unmapped hamlet inhabited by a handful of people 
where time was measured by the length of shadows, the movements of the sun, the direction of the wind, and the throaty call of the cock with the big red comb. A village where silence reigned, broken only by the hooting of the owl, the cuckoo of the dove, and the yapping of wild dogs. Now, alone in the world, Yaremi was left to prepare heaps and raise crops all by herself, laboring hour after hour under the sweltering heat. She had to cut the bushes around the family compound and appeal to the village men, especially to Uncle Dayo, Ajumobi's bosom friend, to assist in mending the leaking roof and rebuilding the fallen walls of her mud house. It was her habit to trek to distant farms, her husband's farms, to approach cassava tubers to feed her goats with. She would linger all day alone in the sun to dry maize grains for an evening meal of delicious porridge and melon stew. But Yaremi's main job was dyeing taffeta cloth in indigo solution at her yard to secure ready cash. These taffeta products she would carry inside a large wooden tray to the market at Sagwe, three miles away, for sale to willing customers. Come, Woye! Jeremy used to shout in the heat and excitement of work and on her little grandchild staying with her. Right now, we have to begin folding these taffeta cloths. The next market day is only two days away. Take a broom and sweep this dirty floor. Spread the mats. Bring out our two mallets. Let's begin to beat these cloths into pleats. Very fine pleats, you know, so that customers at Sagbe Market will, now ha will have nowhere else to go than our store to get the best taffeta. After a long spell of heavy pounding, Yaremi would slowly raise her head and smile, catching the tired face of her grandchild and the small drops of sweat that had begun to gather over the little boy's brow. There you are, Woye, she would tease. At your age, I could swing the mallet non-stop from cockroach to cockroach, all through beating nonsense out of taffeta cloths, never getting tired. But see how weary you have become now, you indolent creature, when will you learn not to be lazy? Lazy boys go to the farm only to watch the vulture dozing on the baobab. They waste time playing with the cattle egrets roasting on the silk cotton tree at the approach of rain, and the giant crab digging its abode on the bed of the milky village stream. Lazy boys are many in this village and you are one of them. You are their leader. See now, Woye, you swing your mallet over the taffeta as if there is no more strength left in you, and your tongue crawls out of your small mouth. Just let me finish folding this taffeta and reach for my long cane at the corner of the room. Wham, wham. The cane will circle and its marks will show around the narrow band of your neck and on the naked column of your back skin. I will crack the whip down in terrific speed. And when I get tired, Woye, 
the whip will drip in slow motion around your tiny body. I will make you howl like a dog kicked in the stomach for stealing the only bone inside the soup pot. No, mama, don't beat me, Woye always pleaded. Please, don't kick me like a dog. I am not going to be lazy anymore, I swear, mama. Being lazy is not good for a small boy like me. Tomorrow, mama, I will beat 10 taffeta pleats and day after 10 pleats to please you. Next week, mama, I will beat 40 all in one day. Beat 40 taffeta today, Woye, lazy boy. Not tomorrow and not next week. Never leave till tomorrow what could be done today. Today is sure, Woye, but nobody knows what tomorrow will bring. Alright, mama. And Woye would resume beating the taffeta with his small mallet, very furiously, play, playfully counting the number game on each stroke of the mallet. One resembles one, Woye sh Woye's sharp little voice would rise and pierce the bamboo rafters on the roof of the house. One and one are identical twin babies of Ogunremi village who in later years grew up to legendary fame and prosperity. Two is like two children on the same parents, eating meals inside the same bowl and greedily licking okra soup clean and clear from their fingers. Three is the dirty calabash on my grandmother's wooden rack which needs to be washed thoroughly and properly scrubbed before the next market day. Four is the crooked footpath leading out of Peregun to the neighboring villages of Oteda, Leloro, Lari and Labwa. Five carries a mortar on his tender neck with hot yam inside but no pestle to pound it with. Six is Tiele, the lifeless body of the robber struck dead by lightning at the village gates during a night storm. Seven is the Kengo hitting a slow melody on the round face of the talking drum on a wedding day. Eight is the pregnant woman of Yege who delivers her twin babies alone by herself at the road junction between Wari and Elewuju on a sunny day. Yaremi would watch her grandchild with great amusement, a pleasant smile hovering over her face. Go on, Woye, she would urge. Go on playing with the number game with your mallet. Go on beating a steady tempo on the taffeta cloth. That's one sure way to remove boredom and one way to make your work lighter. Don't stop, Woye, until we get to number 100. Make sure your hand moves faster than your tongue. Many years ago at Adeyikpo, when I was a little child like you, Woye, I did just that, counting and counting, pounding and pounding, counting and pounding, pounding and counting. I would never stop pounding until I had counted up to 300 on my mallet and beaten 60 taffeta plates in just one day. Work was music to us, Woye. We would spread our taffeta with laughing eyes and allow the joy of work to radiate on our countenance, all along singing merrily. The sweet memory of childhood days came crowding back to Yeremi, and she enthusiastically took over the chanting of the number game from Boye, her eyes half closed, her teeth flashing. Nine is the old one tapa of Lakinde 
selling ketembe of fresh palm wine on credit to customers at Oyedeji Market. Then is the dance arena at the back of Achikwa village where young maidens wriggle beaded hips to the delightful rhythm of the talking drum to celebrate the feast of Anyo Agalu. 11 is the open jaw of the mad hyena laughing Kosela farmers to scorn, to scorn in the season of poor harvest. 12 is the mighty eagle bird neatly sweeping the dirty Omiyo sky with his umbrella wings. 13 is the dark lane in front of the sacred groove at Kange in the night of the dreaded Oro festival. 14 is a group of villages, huddles of mud dwellings, joined by narrow forest paths and shaded by the slender Molekwe. 15 is that big jug of water under the tree shade, providing cool, refreshing drink for weary travelers and wayfarers on a long journey. Yes, together, let's go on counting now, Woye. From 16, let's sing along and count. Together, let's go on pounding furiously and be drenched in perspiration. Come on, Woye, let's get intoxicated with work. Let the tissues of our strong arms stand up like worms on our warm skin as we pound away as the taffeta. For Yaremi, it was now work, work and work. A workaholic. The will to survive was there, putting determination in her bones and vigor into her nerves. And gradually, she began to accustom herself to the hard fact that she really was a widow. Chapter 1 of Faceless, written by Bayo Adebowale and read by Marcel Isobele.